Now I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11, which is on page 920 of your pew Bibles. And there we're going to read verses 19 through 30 as we continue our series through the acts of the risen Lord Jesus as he continues to build his church in the early church here. And and even as we know, he continues to build his church today, right now. And so as you get there, Acts chapter 11, stand, please, out of respect for God's word. And we're going to read verses 19 through 30. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined every one according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. What is a Christian? Who are Christians? How would you answer that question? Well, maybe your first instinct like me is to say, well, pe- uh, Christians are people who have trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. Christians are people who have uh, laid a hold of Christ as uh, their, their only source of salvation, their only hope. And you'd be right. But there's another way to look at that question. It's it's the way of looking at it and saying, who are Christians when you look on them from the outside? How can you tell who are Christians by looking on them? Um, Imagine that your unbelieving friends or family or neighbors, people who aren't Christians around you, they're, they're looking on their society. They're looking on Dayton, Ohio. How would they discern who are the Christians in Dayton? And that demands a kind of different answer, right? Slightly different. You ever wonder where the name Christian comes from? Well, it comes, we're we're told about it right here in our passage. For the first time in this passage, followers of Jesus, disciples, the ones gathering to worship God through Christ, they are called Christians. This is like the origin story of how we got our name. 
That's worth delving into, isn't it? And my hope is by the end of this sermon, you are both encouraged um, by the origin of the name Christian, you, you understand it more, but also you're prompted to live it out more fully so that your neighbors and, and those around you would say, oh, I, I know him, he's a Christian. Oh, I know her, she's a Christian. I want to look at the features, the marks that stood out from the, the first Christians who were in Antioch that led to them being labeled Christian. And the first one is uh, one that, that is clear from the text uh, that, that we need to appreciate before we get any further, and it's this, that Christians are part of a community planted in a particular place. Christians are part of a community planted in a particular place. No, Christians aren't just, you know, up there floating around, you know, walking like invisible people through this world. They're actually members of society, members of, of, of places and citizens of cities. And in this case, right at the beginning, Christians were in the community of Antioch of Syria. Let me tell you a little bit about Antioch because it's important. Antioch was 300 miles north of Jerusalem on the famous Orontes River. So prominent river running through um, uh, modern-day Syria. And Antioch was right along that river. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. So right after Rome and Alexandria, you had Antioch. Had half a million people living there. This is a big city. This was one of the, the, the top three. And the other thing you need to know about Antioch is it was absolutely the Las Vegas of the ancient world. It was like the Las Vegas of Rome. It was known for two things, chariot racing and pleasure seeking. Chariot racing, they had one of the greatest stadiums there for that. And, you know, people would come and cheer on their, uh, their, their chariot and they would gamble, of course. And this, is, this was their life. This, was, this is what they did. And then you also had pleasure seeking. I won't get into too much detail on this, but it's worth noting that the Grove of Apollo was a famous place right outside of Antioch. Everyone knew about it. And it was where religion was mixed with prostitution. And it was... This is a place where all sorts of immorality took place. And you'd go and you'd, you'd pretend to be you know, doing some kind of worship. But really, what, what you were doing was seeking pleasure from a prostitute. Chariot racing, pleasure seeking. And even pagan Roman politicians wrote about Antioch, visited it, and said, Wow, this place is a bad influence. <laughs> this place is a cesspool of social corruption. This is the kind of thing that's going to take down the Roman Empire if we don't do something about it at some point. Because um, it was chariot racing, pleasure seeking, the Las Vegas of the ancient world. And, and, and so here's what I want you to see. It was in this corrupted city that God lights a fire for his gospel. That's amazing. How did he get Christians there? Well, we have to go all the way back to Acts chapter 8 and you see that a persecution broke out in Jerusalem because of Stephen and his martyrdom, his death. And so the Jews there start to uh, go after their fellow Jews that have embraced Jesus by faith. And they, they start 
trying to haul them in and imprison them and even sentence them to death like Stephen. But they run and they flee. And some of them get as far north as Antioch. In fact, lots of them are refugees that have fled there. And God has guided them there by his providence that in this God-forsaken, seemingly, city, they would become committed to the gospel. And that's exactly what starts to happen. Jewish believers that have ended up in that city start to lay down roots in that city, start to uh, work, start to uh, befriend their neighbors, and they start to talk about Jesus. And before long, they're talking not only to fellow Jews, but also to outright pagans in that city, and people are starting to believe. Barnabas visits from Jerusalem, and he can't believe what he's saying. He says... Praise God that this is happening in Antioch, a multi-ethnic community of believers that are embracing Christ and living uh, out their faith. And he says, I got to get help. And he pulls in Paul uh, from Tarsus and says, help me out here because we've got something crazy going on here in Antioch of all places. Within 20 years, Antioch, not Jerusalem, but Antioch becomes the headquarters for for world missions. And missions are coming, are pouring out of Antioch in all directions. It starts in this corrupted city, not, not in Jerusalem, but in Antioch. Now, friends, light of the nations, God has planted you in a particular place. Where is it? Dayton, Ohio. Some of you are visiting from from Pennsylvania. So you've been planted in Pennsylvania. But the congregation here has been planted in Dayton. And some of you might not like that very much. You know, Dayton might not be your number one choice. How did I end up here? What, What am I doing in Dayton? I never chose this for myself. You might, you might be dreaming of fantasizing of another place, you know, with, with warmer shore, warmer beaches. And, um, but for this moment, you are a dual citizen of heaven and Dayton. And God didn't make a mistake when he put you here for however long you're here. He puts you here, in fact, to somehow advance his mission. And so my right away, I want to encourage you that what it means to be a Christian is at least this, first this, to be planted in a particular place. You've been planted in Dayton. And so rather than uh, thinking about where else you could be and spending time grumbling about how frustrating Dayton is and how frustrating its politics are, my encouragement is for you to uh, have the same response of Barnabas. Wow, look what the Lord is doing here. Dayton, Ohio of all places. And then jump in. And jump in. Because if God could take Antioch of Syria, the Las Vegas of the ancient world, and turn it into headquarters of world missions within 20 years, what could he do here in Dayton? What could he do through light of the nations? See the growth that's happening in our midst already? What is the Lord on the cusp of doing? I don't know. But we should be excited about it. So Christians are first a community planted in a particular place. But they are second, we see in this text, a community identified with a certain person. Who is that person? Who could Christians possibly be identified with? Christ, of course. Christ Jesus. That's 
what the name Christian is all about, right? You hear, you, you, can't, you can't say Christian without saying the name Christ. Well, there's a reason for that. Uh, Christian means Christ person, Christ one, a little Christ. Here's what happened. The neighbors um, in, in Antioch of Syria who weren't believers, they start to notice that there's a group of people living amongst them who are just weird. They're different and they can't quite categorize them. They're not Jewish. Uh, or some of them are Jewish, but that's not the main thing that stands out about them because they, they hang out with non-Jews. And then you've got some, uh, some Gentiles, but the main thing about them is not their ethnicity. The main thing about them is, is that they love Jesus. And so they have a hard time categorizing these people. And so they come up with a name for them. That's what our text says. They were called Christians, little Christs. Not primarily Jews, not primarily Gentiles, but a third race, Christian. Now, you have to know something else about Antioch of Syria. It had a horribly bad habit of nicknaming. We hear in a secular source, the Greek and Latin Dictionary of Geography. This is what I found this week. I couldn't believe when I found it. It says this, another fault must be mentioned as a marked characteristic of Antioch. Her citizens were singularly addicted to ridicule and scurrilous wit and the invention of nicknames. You see, people of Antioch of Syria start seeing this weird third race, these people that just talk all the time about Jesus and they try to live like Jesus and they say, oh, we know what to call you. You Christians, you little Christs. All you talk about is Jesus. All you want to live like is Jesus. You won't come to the chariot races because of Jesus. You won't come to the Grove of Apollo because of Jesus. We're going to call you little Christs. These guys are like the, the first you know, um, social media trolls before Facebook and Twitter was a thing. Friends, here's the thing that we need to notice, that the church gladly embraces that title. It's like... I kind of like that. Little Christ, Christ person. You know, I wonder if our identification with Jesus, if your identification with Jesus is more important than anything else. I wonder if when your non-believing friends look at you, when people around you look at you, is what stands out to them when they really think about you, that you love Jesus and you want to, to live for him. Or is it your talents and your hobbies, your career? You see, when we really live for Christ, when we speak about him, people are going to start giving us nicknames. Dayton, Ohio might give us a nickname. We have to count the cost and be ready to embrace it. Count it all joy to be associated with Jesus. Oh, that Dayton would come up with a new name for us. Wouldn't that be awesome if Dayton starts you know, call, calling us you know, the, um, you know, the light of the nationers or, you know, I don't know, the whatever, whatever, you know, the, something that connects us with our savior. I'll take it. Give it to me. Give me whatever it is that, that, that it associates me with him. Baptize into his name, you know, associated with him. Uh, he's our savior. We have no hope apart from him. Please, please call me a Christ one. There's a third thing that we notice about Christians in this text. Planted in a particular place, identified with a 
certain person who is Christ Jesus. Also, a community that as it grows, as it forms, as it matures, is committed to acts of charity. The church in Antioch continues to grow, and Barnabas and Saul are hard at work. And in the meantime, God sends a prophet named Agabus uh, to reveal something important. He's, he's here to reveal that a famine is coming to the land. And the church in Antioch puts one and two together and understands that this is going to be a famine that is going to affect Jerusalem more than anything else, right? When a famine affected the land, uh, largely in, in the region of Egypt, it would be those closest that would be most affected. And so Jerusalem is close to Egypt, closer than Antioch of Syria. And, and somehow they're, they're connecting the dots that, oh, wow, Jerusalem is going to take a hit. The church in Jerusalem is about to just be pummeled uh, by physical deprivation. And what, what do they do? What's their response? They give and they give generously. It, it says that they give each as they were able. Did you see that in our text? It's beautiful. You see, here's what's so beautiful about that. The saints in Antioch know almost nothing about the saints in Jerusalem. They're 300 miles away. They speak a different language. Most of them are a different ethnicity. They're not the kinds of people that you would connect them, except they share one thing in common, Christ. Is it any wonder that they're called, they were first called Christians? Because here's the unbelieving world and, and, and unbelieving neighbors in Antioch of Syria are watching and they're seeing that their neighbors, who they're starting to call Christians, have more in common with people 300 miles away than with them. And they're, they're pouring resources over miles and miles because they care and they don't want to see their, their fellow uh, friends in Christ deprived, even though they know hardly nothing about them. They know they're Christians. Isn't that amazing? What a challenge to us. What a challenge not only to identify with Jesus in baptism and public profession of faith, but also to live it out. And first and foremost, live it out in acts of charity. When there's an OPC church, you know, in California that's hurting, what do we do? We send resources. When there's a church plant in Africa that's, that's uh, in, in, in danger of, of of suffering um, and, and the joy of their salvation has dimmed because uh, the, this threat looms large over them. What do we do? We give as we're able. Not because we, we share so much with them, it's because we share Jesus with them. So this is a challenge for us uh, to, to dive deep into our commitment to Christ through generous giving first to the household of faith, but also our, our giving should be recognized by the world around us. As we're able, we can give as well and our generosity could be marked to our unbelieving neighbors. It could spill outside the church and bless others. And so they call them Christians. But friends, there's something final here I want you to know. They were first called Christians. Why? Well, ultimately, because of their identification with Christ, yes. But because they are a community dependent upon God's grace. Look at verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, 
and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. You see, one of the dangers that might be inherent in, in this kind of sermon is you say, oh, great, you've given us the secret sauce. You've given us the formula. All we have to do is um, make sure we're, we're proper Daytonians and we're plugged into Dayton. Make sure that people know that we're identified with Jesus. So we have to broadcast that. And then uh, we need to be doing acts of charity and we can go through those mechanical motions. But you need to understand none of this, friends, is a formula. Because unless the Lord builds the house, unless he blesses it, unless he works with his spirit, then all of this is for nothing. You see, the way that the church in Antioch grew isn't because they'd found the secret sauce. It was because the Lord was working in their midst. And so unless we're actively praying that God would grow us and and make us the kind of blessing to our neighbors and, 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 and cause us to be seen as a light to the nations... We have no hope that it will actually happen. It's the Lord who does the work. So don't try to plug this into a formula and say, okay, box checked, box checked, box checked. The the main uh, motivation that I think this sermon is, is meant to impress upon you, friends, is this. Pray. Pray that the Lord would do something in our midst that would be seen by the world around us and, and would, would cause Dayton to be so much more than we ever imagined it could be. Pray that God would do even more through Dayton, Ohio than he would do what he did in Antioch of Syria. That's the motivation of this text. Community planted in a particular place. A community identified with a certain person, Christ. A A community committed to acts of charity. A community dependent upon God's grace. You know, there are folks today who don't really know what they think about the name Christian. There are Christians who don't really like the name Christian. Have you met people like that? They say, hey, hey, I'm, I'm a Christ follower. Don't call me Christian. I, I don't like that. You know, call me a Christ follower. I know what they're getting at. They want to shake off that kind of going through the motions, rusty kind of, you know, a Christian is anyone who has any connection with Judeo-Christian roots. No, but, but, but friends... The name Christian is worth keeping. Why is it worth keeping? It's worth keeping because the scripture puts the spotlight on on this name. It's worth keeping because Christian, little little Christ, is really all we're about. So let's take it. Let's call ourselves Christian. Let's live it out. Let's pray that the Lord would enable us to do that. Let's do that now. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would cause us to be seen as Christians. That, Lord, the faith that we have within us, this commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, this trust, this dependence upon his grace would be known to the world around us and it would be noticed. That what is within us would be evident outside of us. And that, Lord, we would be encouraged from this text as well to not be braving it alone, but would be encouraged together with fellow Christians and meet publicly as we are now and be baptized publicly to not hide it, but to bear the name of Christ, even if it be ridicule. Lord, give us the strength 
and give us your spirit, we pray. Amen. At this time, I invite the Rogers family to come forward. Um, I know there are a lot of Rogers here. So John and Kristen and Elsie and uh, your little ones as well, the boys as well, if you want to bring them up. And also the elders of this church.